those promises in mind, please be seated as we usher into our message. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, it's good to be here this morning. Um, I, I missed being here the last two weeks. I missed you guys. And uh, it's really odd for me not to be in church for two weeks. Um, that was kind of, it's just odd for me. Um, but yeah, I'm glad to be back in, in here and in talking to you this morning. Um, we went, don't go too far, Nate. Um, we went uh, on vacation. <clears throat> and um, I need to tell this story before I do your thing. Is that okay? Are you sure? Yeah. Okay, good. So we went on a vacation. We actually went on a cruise, and we went to um, Honduras. Uh, ah, I forgot the port. Rohan. Rohan, and then Belize, and then Cozumel, and uh, then Coco Cay, and then came back home. Uh, it was for Quinn's uh, high school graduation celebration, because we didn't get to do that in 2020. Um, I don't know if you remember something was going on uh, back then, so we were not able to do that. So we just kept saving and, and did this big trip. It was just a great time. When we got back home, however, um, the cruise line gave us a parting gift. Um, it started with Aurora. She got sick for a couple of days, um, which was part of the parting gift. And then um, Nicole was a participant in the parting gift. I thought I was going to kind of slim past the parting gift, but no, I got the parting gift too. So Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, I was out for the count for a little bit. I feel a lot better right now, but I'm telling you, there's this cough that lingers. It's not COVID. There's this cough that lingers afterwards. So I'm just hoping that I don't have a coughing fit while I'm sitting up here today is, is what I'm doing. So if that happens, just please forgive me. We'll, we'll just keep going. So uh, the sermon today is called The Conversation Starter, is what it's called. I normally don't give you the title of my, of my sermons because I'd like you to guess them and just see if you're correct or go on YouTube or whatever. I just never correct. I, <clears throat> never correct. <laughs> the Conversation Starter. And so I don't know if you've ever been to anybody's house that had a little box in their living room and they'll pull these cards out as conversation starters like when you go visit them. Anybody ever been to anybody's house like that? You have? Yep. Nobody? Yeah, because yeah, if you're like me, because I have trouble with people one-on-one, but if you're like me, I don't have a problem starting the conversation. It's, it's completing it. That, that is my... Right? I can start it, but then, you know, it's just hard for me to keep it going. But... Um, but the first time I had this box of conversation, I was working for this guy, and we all came to his house, and as soon as we got there, he pulled out this box for conversation starters, and I just thought it was very interesting that that's how we started the evening was these conversation starters. So I have written a couple of my own for you <clears throat> today, okay? Now, this didn't happen in the first service. I used Seth and a different set of questions. It's actually his seventh wedding anniversary today. I don't know if you know that. So he's, he's over helping. Oh, it's also Heather's. Heather, Heather also, uh, Seth and Heather, you're right. It's both of them, not just his. Yeah, yeah. I have, I have counseled um, people 
that would say that they feel like they were buried longer than the other one does. I, that, that's funny. <clears throat> and you know it's true. You know it's true. Yeah, and we're in the house of the Lord, and we're not Methodist. So we tell the truth. Okay, so here's, here's a couple of conversation starters. Okay? What is the funniest joke you know? You know Did you hear my wife say, oh, no? <laughs> <laughs> if you would have prepped me for this. I, it, it wouldn't be a conversation starter. You're right. Um, let's talk about New Year's resolutions. Okay. My New Year's resolution this, this year was to use my Velcro wall more. What's that? Your Velcro wall more? I'm sticking to it. You're sticking to it? That's good. <laughs> but no, that's not true. I don't even like Velcro. You don't? It's a complete ripoff. <laughs> you know the guy that invented Velcro is dead now. Is he? R.I.P. <laughs> I was going to come out with my own line of see-through Velcro. I just couldn't see it catching on. Wow. How many Velcro jokes does this guy know? Well, I, what, what is the funniest singular joke you know? They were all one joke. Oh, so it's all discontinual. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. All right, here's another one. Okay. What is the weirdest smell you have ever smelled? <laughs> we have animals at our house. We have donkeys and goats and dogs and a cat and, uh, and chickens. And the weirdest smell I've ever smelled woke my wife and I up from a dead sleep, which was the result of one of our dogs eating a bunch of the product of the chickens. Weirdest smell I've ever smelled. Okay, let's not make that one plural. <laughs> what is something across the board people look stupid doing? The crab walk. <laughs> okay, good. Um, what do you think, what do you think, this is the last one, okay. What did you think was cool when you were a kid, but isn't actually cool now? Staying up late. Staying up late, mm -hmm. but it's not cool now. Right. All right, give him a hand. Good job. With that in mind, I want you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. That's where we are. And... Um, James chapter 5, that's where we are. And we'll begin reading with verse 13. James chapter 5, verse 13. And this is what it says. <clears throat> is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Now, in that, that particular verse, it actually references prayer twice, that it, though it only uses the word once. When you're singing praise to God, you're actually praying to him. You're having a conversation with him. You're entering into the throne of grace, and you are worshiping your God and singing praises to him. It is a part of prayer when you're praising. So this morning, when you were worshiping these three wonderful songs that we did, you were actually praying those prayers to God as worship to him and thankfulness to him is what you were doing. So this verse tells you that prayer is something that not only you should do when you're suffering, but also when you're very joyful. 
In other words, prayer is the appropriate response for a Christian for anything that happens in their life. If it's good, if it's bad, you go to the Lord in prayer. Whatever is happening in the moment, you go to the Lord in prayer. That is your appropriate response. That should be our first response, is what it should be. So, um, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. If anyone cheerful, let him sing praise. Is, if, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Okay? Then we get to verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. So those verses, every single one of them has the word prayer in it. So this is a focus on prayer. It says focus on talking to God. Verse 16 tells us a little bit something about prayer. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and is working. Now, I don't know if you're like me or not, but when the subject of prayer comes on the scene for us to study, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, this is really going to be boring. This is really going to be boring. It is something that tucks back at the back of my mind. And I would dare say that if you are honest, some of you in this room think the exact same thing. It's not that you don't like prayer. You just think that if you're going to have a lesson on it or if you're going to hear something about it, that it is going to be something that's boring and not very interesting. And I submit to you today that that is actually the enemy in the back of your mind making you think that prayer is boring so that you will not access the most powerful tool that you have in your arsenal against him. And Satan is very good at it. In fact, I would admit to you right now that prayer, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, how, how in the world do you make prayer interesting is, is a thought that I have every time I preach on it. Because, and that comes from a lie that I've been told by Satan that it's not going to be interesting. Are, are you tracking are you trying? And so he, he seats that into our mind when, in fact, prayer is the most powerful thing that you have at your disposal. It's like throwing out your nuclear arsenal. Thank you. I needed help with that word. It's like throwing out your nuclear arsenal or whatever we have in outer space. I have theories. Throw all that away. And go to war with somebody with a squirt gun. Are you tracking? It's like if a burglar came into your house, instead of getting the weapon that would really take care of business, you decided to go to your kid's toy box and get their Nerf gun. Because somehow somebody had convinced you not to use this, it would be too violent, so you would use the Nerf gun because at least, you know, the burglar would be safe while he's in your home stealing your stuff. Is everybody tracking with me? That is precisely what the devil is doing. He's saying, it's going to be boring. It's not good. Just, just check out on this. You don't need any of this. And I'm here to tell you this morning, do not listen to that voice. It says here that the prayer of a righteous person has great 
power. That is an inward power. When you and I pray to the Lord, there is a significant um, enhancement of our inner strength. And that inner strength flows to our outside situation. It strengthens us on the inside. To not use prayer in a situation is to be weak on the inside and then take that weakness to whatever's happening on the outside. One is going to conquer whatever's happening and the other isn't. Everybody with me on that? So, so we use prayer, we pray to God because it's very, very powerful. The rest of that verse says, as it is working. And that means that every time that I pray a prayer, that prayer is being answered and it is working out in history in some fashion or form, is what it's saying. Not only is it powerful, but it's going to be accomplished, whatever it is is what this is saying. And, and that's, that's a pretty astounding thing, that we can pray and that will happen. So then you back up a little bit and you get to kind of the, the bothersome part of the verse. Because prayer, prayer is fine. I mean, powerful. We can use it. We can pray it. Things will be answered. It's something that works out. It's the biggest tool in our arsenal. Man, that first phrase right before that last part of that sentence is really just kind of troubling. It says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I don't know about you, but I don't always feel righteous. Right? I don't always feel righteous. I feel self-righteous, but that's not the righteousness of this verse right here, right? This is a pure, righteous person, and he's praying, and it has great power. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, there, I'm, there's some stuff inside of me that I'm still working on and will be working on until I die, because I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. Nobody in this room is perfect. And righteousness to me is something that is like a perfection situation, right? Like a righteous person that is perfect, of course they can pray and anything will happen right? And so I'm thinking, I'm thinking, man, there's just some stuff inside of me that I'm working on. I'm trying to work this stuff out. I don't feel righteous most of the time. How in the world can I pray like this and, and my prayers be heard if I can never make it to the point that I, I am righteous in that particular regard? Well, there's a couple of things theologically. First of all, when you're saved, God pronounces you righteous under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore you're righteous enough to pray to God. That is a comfort. So at any moment, I have a position of righteousness that I can pray to my Heavenly Father and approach the throne of grace and talk to him about whatever I need to because of the righteousness of Jesus that he has placed upon my life. A step aside from that is a righteousness where I have to at least try to be going for that. A lot, of, a lot of times people go for unrighteous living rather than righteous living. And, and you really need to be focused on going toward a righteous sort of life. And so how, how in the world can I rise to that particular occasion to where I'm righteous enough to where I can get on my knees and I can make my petition and God will hear that petition and my request will be made known and it will be answered accordingly. How does that, how does that happen, man, the righteousness? I feel so inadequate. So James knows that as soon as he says this, this is how some of the people 
and the audience is going to feel. We're going to feel very inadequate. How can we be righteous enough to make our prayers answerable? And so what he does is he gives an example. Okay? And in verse 17 he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. Interesting enough, that particular phrase there says that Elijah prayed fervently with prayer he prayed. Is what the Greek says. Yeah. And so he's praying fervently with prayer he prayed. He's praying fervently, and it's Elijah. And he prayed that it might not rain. And for three and a half years and six months, it didn't rain. So first, first um, thing is, I almost had a Nicole moment there. Did you see that? I tripped, almost tripped on nothing. That was on the... <laughs> Almost there. <clears throat> so, um, that was a distraction. So, so, yeah, so Elijah. Elijah and Elisha happen to be one of my two favorite Old Testament characters. They're just amazing to me. They're weird. I imagine they smell funny, right? Have you ever read through what they were wearing and how they possibly smelled and tried to visualize that? Anybody ever tried to visualize? I, I feel like I'm being hanged. Thank you. I, I like this section over here. Let me just talk to you. Oh, just kidding. Just kidding. Yeah, you, you have this character, Elijah, and man, he's, he's an amazing thing, amazing person. And it says here, Elijah was a man with a nature just like mine. Elijah was a man with a nature just like yours. And what James is saying here is Elijah has a nature just like yours, and he was righteous enough to pray for it not to rain. Therefore, you can also do the same sort of thing. That's, that's a pretty big claim, isn't it? So let's start thinking of, about this. Man, I don't I don't know if I, I, could do, I could do that. I don't know if I could do that. Well, let's, let's think about Elijah's life and see if it's even similar to ours, okay? So I, I wrote some stuff down about Elijah, and then <clears throat> I typed it in. I typed it in because um, my computer spells better than I do. Okay, that's what it did. And so here's the first one. Elijah... He could raise to the heights of faith and commitment, and he could fall into the depths of despair and depression. He could be very victorious one day and be like, I can conquer the world, God is with me, and then be down in the depths of depression and say, man, I'm, I'm just worthless, I'm defeated, I will not make it through this. How many of you have ever lived that way before? Yeah, you've had days where, oh yeah, all I do is win. All I do is win, right? And then a couple of days later, man, this is horrible. I cannot get through this. This is a horrible day. There's no way I have the strength to make it through this particular day. And we feel like we're the biggest loser. We go from the biggest winner to the biggest loser. Elijah was a man just like you and me, and a man nature just like you and me. Here's another one. He could brave and be resolute at times, and he could run for his life in fear. We've all had moments where we were very brave, and we hit something head on, right? And we, uh, we got, got through it, got to the end. We were very brave all the, way all the way through that particular event. And then something else came up 
that was a little smaller than the event that we went through. And for some reason, we can't get through this because we feel too weak. We fear this particular thing. And so we just back off, right? We just back off. Well, Elijah, same way, has the same flesh as we do. He was a man, a human, just like you and me. He could be selfless in his concern for others, and he could be filled with self-pity the very next day. How many of you, from time to time, was very selfless to help someone? Like you felt like you needed to help them, and you were very selfless when you did it. How many of you? Right? Yeah. How many of you, a couple of days later, found yourself being selfish? Elijah's the same way. He, he would help people, care for people, and then the very next week, he would be very selfish uh, with himself because he is like you and me, Elijah, this great man that we look up to. He was an ordinary person, but he was right with God. He was an ordinary person, but he was God's child, and that is what made him righteous. Now, he had some pretty remarkable prayers, if you remember. One time in scripture, he prayed that a son would be raised from the dead. Boy had died, he prayed, boy's raised from the dead. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? It's not something I've been able to do. Uh, It's not something that I've really ever prayed. Um, I think if I did that at a funeral, People would get the heebie-jeebies, possibly, right? And I've never been led to do that, but he has. And he, um, excuse me, sorry. And he did that. Um, Here's another thing that he did. He challenged the existence of God based solely on prayer. The way he did that was, he said, look, you, you serve Baal. You say that he's true. I serve Yahweh. Let's see which one will answer a prayer. Let's put that out as a test on the table. I'm just going to put that out on the table for you. Now, I've thought about this. That is pretty daggum gutsy. Because for me, I would rather prove God and his existence on my own with my own intellect. As little of it as I have, I would rather go in that particular direction. See, I can tell you that You know, the world is made with an intelligent design. There has to be a bigger creator that created us. It's very logical. It's kind of weird to think that an explosion happened and all of a sudden we have all of this. That billions of years have come by and all of a sudden we're breathing all this air. Well, Philip, it's scientific. Yeah, but scientifically crazy is different than scientific I'm not going to get into that. Anyway, that just seems kind of crazy to me that we we would believe that, that there is not an intelligent person involved in making all this happen. We are sitting on a rock in the middle of nowhere going around a sun in the same orbit for the last 6,000 years. Stuff like that just doesn't happen. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you... Cosmologically, you know, there's intelligent design um, and, and things like that. And so you could, you could really get into a conversation about, you know, if God is real or not and, and base it just all, all on that stuff, right? But when you put prayer on the table as a test for God's existence, you can't argue with that. 
God has to show up. Either he shows up or he doesn't show up. Either he proves himself or he doesn't prove himself. I would submit to you that prayer is probably, probably the number one reason that we know that God exists. Y'all don't agree with that? Yeah, prayer is probably the number one reason. Yeah, what did you do when you got saved? You prayed. Why did you pray? Because you knew you were talking to somebody, right? Prayer is the number one reason that we know that God exists. And so he lays this all out on the table, all out on the table. Bell does their thing, and he actually wins. God sends fire, and it burns his sacrifice. It is an amazing thing. What a man of faith. What guts he had to do that in that particular time. And then James says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again on his knees, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So he, he got on his knees, and he prayed, and the rain came. Well, Philip, that, those are all great stories, but I don't even know how to begin a prayer, much less pray for it not to rain. Like, how, how in the world am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to, to rise to the level of Elijah, who's like me, which it, it's, you can do that. You can arise that if that's God's will for you. But how do I even start a prayer? So I would like to give you a couple of ser- uh, prayer starters for you this morning before we move on to the next thing. And here they are. And these are some of the ones that I use, okay? So um, here we go. First, Lord, I don't know what to say. If you don't know how to start a prayer, it's a great way to start one. Lord, I don't know what to say. I have found that when I start a prayer like this, I, I start talking more than I thought I would have talked. I start explaining why I don't know what to say, and that leads into some other stuff, and then before too long, I'm talking to him about the particular issue, and that's how that that goes. But this is a great prayer starter. You can put this in your little box, in your Bible, or write in your Bible. Lord, I don't know what to say. Here's another one. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Sometimes that's all I say. There's sometimes in the car that this is all I do. I get up in the morning. I say, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I've woken up in the middle of the night before, and this is something that I've said to God over and over and over again because I truly love him. And this is a great starter for you. You say this enough times, and you get very comfortable with talking with the person that you love. You understand? I love you. I love you, and before too long, you're expressing other feelings to him. It's a great prayer starter. Here's another one. I'm not sure what just happened, but thank you. You ever been in that moment? You're not really sure what just happened, but thank you, Lord. Not sure what just happened, but thank you. And of course, this is in a positive sense. You're wondering, man, this is going to be rough. This is going to be bad. And all of a sudden, it just all, all of a sudden miraculously works out, like, oh, I'm not sure what just happened, but thank you. I'm not going to analyze it because if it's going to happen again, I want to be just as surprised, right? Here's the next one. I need wisdom. 
and here's why. Lord, I need wisdom in this particular situation, in this particular decision. I need wisdom. I need you, Lord. I need wisdom, and here's why. Next one. What do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do today? Things are silent for you. You wake up in the morning. You read your scripture. You've had your prayer time. You're on the way to work. And you just want to talk to them about something. Just, uh, what do you want me to do today? And then listen. And hold on. Because he's going to send something for you to do that day. And you're going to have to be faithful to it. He's going to show that to you whatever it is. What do you want me to do today? And here's one that I've said more times than I'd like to admit. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sometimes I've, I've started prayers like this um, because I know what I was sorry for. Absolutely know what I'm sorry for. Sometimes I've started them and I don't know what I'm sorry for, but I know I need to be sorry. You ever know you need to be sorry for something? and you just don't know what it is? Like, you don't know exactly what you did wrong, but you did something wrong, and it's just vexing your soul, and you can't get any peace about it. You can't get any peace and stuff, and so you're like, okay, um, I don't know why I'm so troubled, but I'm just going to start with this, Lord. I'm sorry, and if you could just tell me what it is, I'll be more than willing to confess it to you because I'm tired of feeling this way. So you just say, I'm sorry. And before too long, either he says that you're having an emotional moment, take a pill, he doesn't really say that. You have an emotional moment, or he says, you did this, and you need to apologize for it. And you do that. And so sometimes you start your prayers, a prayer starter is, I'm sorry. Here's another one. That was amazing. That was amazing. Right? So you start a prayer with, that was amazing. Here's a favorite one, at being a parent. Um, I don't do this as often anymore. But as a parent, I used to start prayers like this. Lord, that child of mine, right? That child of mine, you know you love them, but sometimes it's like, that child of mine, can you do something with them? Can you help me with them? Can you give me some type of instruction? So those are prayer starters that kind of get you on your way to praying to God and talking to Him, okay? So now that we've covered that, I want to cover another aspect of prayer that we don't often talk about. Because normally we talk about us talking to God. I want to talk about something a little different. So if you're turning your Bibles to uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, that would be awesome. 1 Kings chapter 19. In 1 Kings chapter 19, this is in, in the uh, context of Elijah. Elijah is on the run. Um, this is actually one of my favorite passages in Scripture, is 1 Kings 19. I have to hold myself back from preaching from it, um, mainly because I know it would just be me wanting to do it rather than God leading me there. But uh, this, this passage of Scripture is just rich in, in what it has um, information-wise. So Kings chapter 19, Elijah's on, his run, on the run, and... Um, He's not feeling too good about himself. <clears throat> and in verse 4 of chapter 19, it says this. When he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. 
And he laid down and slept under the, bottom, uh, under the broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. Hold on a second. Apologize for that. What I want you to notice from this text is that the angel of the Lord, which is a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, came to Elijah and spoke to him. Jesus came to him to speak to him. In verse 7, it says, And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb. So a second time, Jesus Christ in the flesh, that's who the angel of the Lord is in Scripture, he came and he talked to Elijah and said, eat again. Okay? So Jesus came to him. Verse 9. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So the word of the Lord came to Elijah is the point here. And he said, I've been very jealous of the Lord for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword, and I and I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind toward the mountains and broke them in pieces and rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, wait, and after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper, and the Lord's voice was in the low whisper. Now that is not in your text, but that is exactly what the Hebrew implies there that God's voice was in the low whisper. Verse 13 says, And when Elijah heard the Lord's voice in the, Lord, in the whisper, huh, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah. I submit to you this morning that prayer is not just a one-way street. I submit to you this morning that sometimes God the Father comes to you to start a conversation with you. We often think in terms that we're the ones that need to start the conversation with God and then he will respond to us. But that is not exactly how prayer always works in scripture. It's not how, how prayer has always worked in my life. Sometimes God has sought me out first to start the conversation. He has come to me and said, hey, I need to talk to you a minute. Sometimes it's when I'm reading my Bible. Sometimes when it's driving in my car. Sometimes he knocks on my soul and says, you just need to take some time, time with me for a few moments. I have something to say to you. 
God himself wants to talk to you more than you want to talk with him. It's not a slight on you. It's just a reality. God wants to talk with you. I've heard countless people talk about how God does not speak to us. He only speaks to prophets. He only speaks to apostles. He only speaks to people that wrote scripture. And I'm here to tell you this morning, God speaks to his children. And the first time that he sought you out for a conversation is when he invited you to receive his son as your savior. He started that conversation because he loved you that much. So he sent the Holy Spirit, he drew you to himself, and you responded to that conversation, and you begin a relationship with him. If you have not done that in this room, have you, if you have not responded to that invitation yet, and you're in this room and you're not saved, I submit that you need to do it today. Respond to him. Talk back to him. He's drawing you to salvation, but he drew you to salvation. But it's not the only time that God, that God speaks to the people he saved. I think it's ludicrous to think that that's the only time that God would speak to you and draw you closer. God speaks to us often. And it's not in the noise. The point of this, one of the points, the one of the many points of, of this chapter in uh, uh, 1 Kings chapter 19 is that life gets so loud Our emotions are like earthquakes sometimes. The stuff going on around us is just like boom, boom, boom. And we do not hear God speaking in all the mess. We hear him speaking with a calm voice because he's in control. Oh, come on. It's a calm voice. You see, when everything's flying around and when our emotions are heightened and when we're really antsy about everything, God's not up in heaven going, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? If they would just ask me, if they would just ask me, I could do something, but I just can't do something. And then if they ask me to do something, what in the world am I going to do? God's not up there doing that. God's up there on his throne just sitting in total control of your chaos in total control of your chaos, in total control of it, and he's saying, be calm. That's the small voice. Be calm. Calm down a few moments. Let's get these emotions in check. This is bad, right? Because he's honest. Yeah, this is bad for you. But you're going to get through this. But you have to get rid of the noise in order to hear his quiet voice. And the last thing you need in a moment where there's storms going on in your life is God yelling at you to do something. It didn't work when your parents did it to you. And he knows it's not going to work if he did it to you. Come on. It's a quiet voice. And you just have to calm yourself down enough to hear it. 
get past the emotions enough to hear it. And that's precisely what Elijah did. He made it to a mountain. He didn't hear God anywhere else, but he finally heard him in the quietness of that gentle whisper. And he walked out and God said, Elijah, what in the world are you doing? He didn't say it badly. He didn't say it loudly. He didn't say it angrily. He said it with a caring heart. And Elijah listened. And God is sitting in your mess, waiting for you to pause long enough to calm yourself down so that you can hear what he has to say to you. God is the ultimate conversation starter. He is. Now, I want to move to another one, okay? And it's in Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Now, I'm not going to give you a big, but this is the burning bush story of Moses. Um, If you're not familiar with it, just go home today and read Exodus chapter 3. I don't have time really to give you the background. But let me just tell you, there's a bush that's burning, but it's not burning. And the angel of the Lord is in the bush. Okay? Okay. So this is another Jesus Christ moment in the Old Testament is what it is, what it amounts to. And so um, chapter 3, verses 11, this is Moses' response to God telling him that he's supposed to go and free the children of Israel from Egypt. Okay, so that's where we are. So Moses has some feelings about this what he's been told from this bush, from the angel of the Lord. In verse 11, it says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? What Moses is saying is, Lord, you've come to me and you've started this great conversation with me and you've asked me to do this great thing, but I'm just putting this on the table, I'm inadequate to do what you've asked me to do. I am absolutely inadequate to do what you've asked me to do. And God, um, not being a God that is influenced by today's culture, which would be going back to Moses and said, oh, Moses, you are great and you, you are adequate. And give him little pats on the back like that. God actually agrees with him and says, no, you're not adequate. You're not adequate. Yeah. That's the God we serve. He's honest, ladies and gentlemen. You're not adequate to do this, what I'm doing. In verse 12, God says this. He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Let me just, Philip Brand paraphrase here. Okay, just Philip Brand paraphrase. You won't find this in the Hebrew. 
This is what he's saying. Moses, you are not adequate, but I am. Moses, you can't do this, but I am sufficient to do this through you. Ladies and gentlemen, God, sometimes his conversation starter is to come to you and say, I want you to do this, and you feel inadequate to do it. And yes, you are. But if God comes to you and asks you to do something, he is sufficient to do that thing through you. You are not alone. You're not alone. And it might be immeasurable odds in front of you. And you're wondering, how in the world would I get through this? I, I love this ministry. I, I love this job. I love my family. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Lord, you're calling me to confront this person. You're calling me to do this particular thing. You're calling me to do this. I am so stinking inadequate. And God is on the other side say, saying, hey, I called you to do it, and I'm more than sufficient. And all you have to do in your moment of weakness is pray and I'm right there by your side. Come on. You're right there by your side. <clears throat> I didn't tell this one in the first service. I'm just wanting to tell it now because I'm kind of excited about it. Um, I've told this before, but I love this, I love this particular joke. Um, I, um, I went to visit the, the pastor at Farmington Methodist recently and they have a red phone. He had a red phone on his, on his desk. I said, what's that? He said, oh, this is our phone. It's a direct line to God. I said, really? He said, yeah. Cost about $10,000 um, per five minutes. Really, $10,000, yeah. So we really have to raise the money before we reach up and we, we do that, right? And so I said, wow, $10,000, that's, that's pretty incredible. Well, just a few weeks ago, he came and visited here and, and um, I have a phone in my office, it, but it's white. It's not red, it's white. And he said, um, well, what, what is that phone? I said, well, this is our direct line to God. I, I saw that you had one, and so I decided that we needed one as well. So we, we got a direct line to God. He said, well, how much does it cost? I said, nothing. He said, why? I said, because it's a local call. <laughs> that didn't happen. The point with that is, God has started a conversation with you about what you should do. You have a local call to talk to him anytime. And you should also make sure that he can come to you at any moment and speak and you will hear it. Sometimes what we need to do is just shut our mouth and listen. Lord, what do you have to say to me? And then listen for him to speak. Yeah. So to wrap this up, um, I, I put together some biblical things that God sometimes starts conversations with me with, and some that he just, he just has started this way with me. And then we're going to pray and wrap this up. Here we go. I want you to do this. Now, this one's strongly scriptural. You can find it from Genesis all the way to Revelation. I want you to do this. Next. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I can't tell you how many times 
he's asked me that question. Philip, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm really thankful for this because it's really preventing me from doing some stupid stuff. You know, I've made a plan. I'm taking steps to do it. And I'm driving my car. I might be on the way to church. might be on the way home, whatever. And then God's like, Philip, um, what are you doing? Don't do that. You know, and you, and you listen. Here's the next one. I am with you. I've heard this so many times in my life. So many times in my life. I've heard it in my darkest moments. I've heard it in my greatest moments. I've heard it when I was concerned about doing stuff or what to do because of what was facing us as a church. I, I just, amazing. But he's always said, I'm with you, and that's a comfort to my heart. He starts conversations with that with me often. Here's another one. Reach out to me, you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I've had that personal experience with him telling me that, and I've also had him say, this is what you need to say in this moment to the people that are struggling. Just lay your cares upon him because he cares for you. He cares for you. That's what he, his message is for you. Here's the next one. Accept my son's sacrifice for your sins. This only happened to me one time, and it should only happen to you one time. But if he's repeatedly saying that to you, you're not saved. So get saved, and then he won't start with that anymore. He has other plans for you, actually, after that. Here's another one. <clears throat> Don't do that. It will not turn out right. Yeah. Here's another one. Do that. There will be pain, but it's the right thing to do. And then here's one that, to me, is priceless. Um, especially, especially if you've ever been on the receiving end of people calling you names or accusations or, or whatever, and, and, or you've had an argument with your wife and you feel like you're just, you're just mud, you know, you're just mud. Here's one that comes to my mind a lot. You are my child. And when he says that, that moment, for just a little bit, it doesn't matter what anybody said about me. I am his child. Isn't that awesome? I'm his child. So there you go. Listen for him. Listen for him. Listen for him to try to start a conversation with you, and then you need to respond back when he does. And that's it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the stage you've given us, and <clears throat> thank you for this message this morning, and thank you for prayer. So we turn this moment over to you now, and... Um, you move as you always do. We ask all these things to pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Are you hurting and broken feet? Overwhelmed by the weight of sin, Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus.
Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Only day there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and drape them with joy. From the ashes a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. All right, two things. One is, um, if you feel inadequate to pray, you are. But that shouldn't stop you. You're praying to a sufficient God that wants you to talk to him, which is amazing. And the second one I forgot, so I'm not going to share it. So grace and peace. We'll see you next week. <laughs>